Live from Gloucester, this is The Saturday Breakfast Show with Darren Lester, and you are listening live. Guten Morgen. I am having a German-tastic week this week as I am joined by my guest Lucy Dresnan and we will be talking all things German in light of the announcement this week that the government wishes to push German teaching and learning in England. Very excited as we have some Lucy today. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or join in the conversation by downloading the Podbean app and following Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag TT Radio. Good morning, everybody. It is a very chilly five degrees on this Saturday, the 19th of November 2022. And I must say, I am rather enjoying it. Um, I've had a fantastic combination this week of German and Christmas. Yes, I am getting ready for the season because uh, I got to spend Thursday with my year eight German beginners at Bristol Christmas Market, which was wonderful. Um, it's been quite difficult as an MFL teacher over the past couple of years to give our students the experiences that we kind of want to give them, that we want them to have, because of course trips abroad have been so difficult. Um, we kind of we had Brexit announced, and we kind of went into a bit of a panic about that. Those of us that that habitually do international residentials because we weren't quite sure how Brexit would hit us in terms of being able to take our students abroad for educational trips. Um, and then those of us, of course, that teach in schools with a big international cohort had an extra layer of bureaucracy that started to creep in um, when we realised that that Brexit would also have an impact on our visa holders. And then, of course, no sooner had we started to try and get those things underway, but COVID hit, which put a an end to all international trips. And it seems like they are only just beginning to, to get started again. Um, at my school, we did attempt to do a trip to Paris uh, at Easter time. But unfortunately, it fell through just because the red tape ended up being unmanageable and we couldn't do it in the, the time frame that we had wanted to. And so I think many of us who teach languages have been looking for alternative provision so that we can still give our learners the experiences that they deserve, the cultural experiences particularly that they deserve. Because I am in a minority of linguists, uh, and I understand that I'm in a minority, uh, because I do not believe that you necessarily need to spend an extended amount of time in a country to learn the language. I think that you can learn any language, anywhere. Uh, because if it were true that you needed to be in the country in order to learn the language, then classics, which we know is my first love, that would have died out because we cannot physically go to ancient Rome in order to learn Latin. And so I think that for me personally, it's it's the culture that is more difficult to recreate in the classroom. I can, I can create language experiences. I find it quite difficult to recreate cultural experiences. And that's where the international trips really have value for me. 
And I have felt a bit guilty over the past couple of years that my learners have gone without those. And so last year, the the head of prep languages at my school and I sat down together and we tried to figure out what we could do for our year eight beginners in German and Spanish to, to give them a cultural experience that they wouldn't otherwise have. And luckily, close to me, relatively close to me, about 40 minutes away, there is an authentic German Christmas market that runs through November and December. So I took my year eights, 21 of them, on uh, on Thursday, and we had a wonderful time shopping and trying all sorts of different sausages and just generally soaking up the culture and getting ready for the Christmas season. So I am very much ready for Christmas now, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I haven't really celebrated it over the past couple of years. I'm normally the Christmas guy. Christmas is my favourite time of year. But for the past two years, I've not really um, been too bothered about it. I don't even think I decorated last year, if I'm completely honest. Uh, but I do kind of feel in the spirit now. And I'm very, very excited to um, to get started. And I'm very excited to continue my shopping. I have started my shopping. I started my shopping back in uh, in August actually. But now that I'm starting to get all the emails coming through about Black Friday deals, um, I think I might need to make my bank account cry and start my Christmas shopping in earnest. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. With the World Cup due to begin, TES magazine reveals why some schools won't be screening games during school time. The competition held in Qatar is the subject of much concern from some school leaders worried about the ethics of showing games held in a country with a poor record when it comes to human rights. England play one game against Iran during school hours, but whilst many school leaders have chosen to show significant games in the past, some are choosing not to do so this time. FIFA's choice to host the tournament in Qatar has been controversial from the outset because of the country's laws on homosexuality and its treatment of migrant workers. Some heads have said that showing the game would be at odds with lessons on diversity and equality. Not all leaders share the same view, and some schools will show the game, but will have have what is described as age-appropriate discussions about the ethics of the tournament alongside. 
Decisions of this nature are always left to individual school leaders, and as debate about the tournament continues, the only real certainty is that this World Cup will be remembered for its controversial hosts, if nothing else. The last week has seen many schools participate in activities to mark Anti-Bullying Week. To further acknowledge the impact bullying can have on young people and their families, the Government's Education Hub has published an article laying out what they're doing to help combat bullying in education. This support has largely been in the form of government grants to fund projects and organisations who do important anti-bullying work. This has included further funding for the Diana Award, a recognised anti-bullying programme, the Anti-Bullying Alliance, a new programme to prevent and tackle bullying through quality RSHE education, the Anne Frank Trust to continue the different but the same project, diversity role models, developing intervention materials for schools and equality to support multi-academy trusts or local authorities to create change. Full details of all the projects and the funding can be found on the .gov UK website, as well as in the Preventing and Tackling Bullying Guidance. The Scottish Government will launch an online national discussion on Scottish education the week beginning the 21st of November. Children, young people, parents, carers and teachers are being encouraged to take part by registering for events. Those who register will be able to talk directly to the independent facilitators, Professor Alma Harris and Professor Carol Campbell. The discussion was first launched in September, but in order to ensure as full a discussion as possible, the online events have also been launched. So far, the discussion has received 3,500 responses and feedback will be open until the 5th of December. The Schools and Academy Show 2022 saw the Chair of Ofqual, Ian Buckham, discuss plans for exams and grading for 2023, as well as considering the future of exams, assessment and the use of technology. In his speech, he made it clear that exams and other formal assessments that are like exams give students the fairest chance to show what they know and what they can do. He cited feedback from students, parents and teachers, which he said was overwhelmingly positive, particularly about the return to normal exams in 2022 after the difficulties of the pandemic. Whilst exams in 2023 will see a return to pre-pandemic grading, safeguards will be put in place to ensure no pupil is disadvantaged. This will be the same as those put in place for the 2017 series when pupils sat the reformed GCSE and A-level qualifications for the first time. He went on to speak about the impact of digital tech and described it as when, not if, there would be a greater use of it in high-stakes exams. He did, however, acknowledge that a move to greater digital assessment can only come about through joint working across a range of partners and stakeholders, so as not to experiment with young people's futures. A full transcript of the speech can be found on the DfE website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to look at smartwatches. For those of you that don't know what a smartwatch is, it's basically a watch that has the ability to connect to your phone, enhancing the experience of the owner's smartphone by delivering notifications and controls via an interface, which shows more discreetly and allows the user to decide whether they need to get their phone out or not. This is a real bonus for teachers, as a lot of schools have no phones policies, making it difficult to be contacted 
during the day. Some smartwatches also can stand alone without the need for a short-range phone connection as they've got built-in cellular or Wi-Fi capability, extending the range of connection, allowing the phone to be left at home. Although this can be useful, you need to bear in mind that there are additional costs for this and answering calls makes you look like you're on an episode of Star Trek talking to your wrist unless you have headphones and replying to texts can be tricky using the watch interface. That being said, one of the most powerful features of smartwatches is the ability to use contactless payment with them, a real time saver and also peace of mind. A downside of contactless payment using smart devices is some payment machines, in particular parking meters, only accept cards. This needs to be kept in mind when traveling around. So, what is the best? Well, that depends on the phone you currently have. It isn't really about the best, it's about compatibility. If you want an Apple Watch, you need to have an Apple phone. Android allows more options and also can be considerably cheaper. You need to ask yourself a few questions to decide what's best for you. Here are the questions I'd ask when considering a smartwatch. What do I want it for? If it's to see notifications from my phone, could an activity tracker be what I'm after? Compatible with all mobile phone platforms, there is a reduced control interface, but for around £50, alongside tracking your activity, you can see notifications without the need to get your phone out. What is the battery life like? Will it last until you get home to charge it? What's the display like? Will you be able to see it at a glance? What if you get messaged while pointing at a pupil's work? Will they see it? Can notifications be adjusted so you are not accidentally sharing? Is it noisy? Can you silence it? Can you switch it to vibrate? And finally, some phone contracts allow you to add on extra devices. Will it be cheaper to do it that way or to buy it outright? As always, I'd love to hear your favourite teaching tech. Do you wear a smartwatch? Let us know at TTR 2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. I haven't uh, haven't bought into the smartwatch hype yet. I must admit, mostly because I don't like wearing regular watches. Um, even my Fitbit kind of fell by the wayside eventually, and I was obsessed with that for about three weeks in a summer about five years ago. Um, Maybe, maybe I'll get into them. Maybe somebody can convince me. So on Monday, the um, the Department for Education and the Right Honourable Nick Gibb MP released a press release entitled Millions Invested in Language Lessons. Now, of course, for me, that was a delightful thing to uh, to drop into my inbox. I was so happy to see that. And as I read through it, I became increasingly happy because it talked about languages that, that I am very passionate about. Obviously, clearly, friends of the show will know I'm passionate about all language, um, but it particularly picked out um, three that I teach, three that I speak, as well as some others. The, the press release essentially says, languages are a key part of a broad and balanced curriculum, and evidence suggests that learning a language has strong economic benefits, including improving international trade. The British Council's Languages for the Future also identified that Spanish, Mandarin, French, Arabic and German are the top five priority languages to improve the UK's skills, security and influence in the world. Now, I personally teach uh, Mandarin, French and German. My school has a very strong Spanish department uh, and we know that Arabic is is growing. Part of our staff meetings are quite often, quite often which one of us is going to learn Arabic so that we can offer it. Um, and it was that inclusion of German that I was particularly pleased to see, because as we know, and and as I discussed 
with Nadia Stevens-McKesh, head of German at Wycliffe College, back at the beginning of September, we have noticed a sharp decline in learners learning German. Uh, it seems to be, for, for my case at least, it's a very popular language at Key Stage 3. My school introduces it in Year 8, and we have very good uptake in, in Years 8 and Year 9. And then it tends to drop off as we go into GCSE, um, because of that perception among students that language GCSEs in general are difficult. And then there's another drop at A-level. And I think my school is quite representative of all schools in that case, with, with German specifically. But the, the press release from the Department of Education goes on to say, this initiative will support the Department for Education's ambition that 90% of year 10 pupils, so that's 90% of students who are aged 14, 15, in state-funded schools study a combination of the core academic subjects as part of the EBAC by 2025, and that includes a language, it includes at least one language. So, um, we couldn't have timed this show any better, quite honestly. Lucy and I have been talking for a couple of weeks uh, about timing to get her on the show. We had planned this one and talked about what we were going to, to discuss. And then the press release dropped. And I think we both had the same idea that this could not have been timed better if we had planned it. Lucy is the head of German at Arden Academy Trust. Uh, with a very impressive CV that I am excited to talk about this morning, and I am so happy to have you here. Lucy, good morning. Good morning. Hello. It's such a pleasure to be here. This is like the best possible start to a Saturday morning, I think, like sharing <laughs> like-minded ideas and expertise with a German enthusiast and just getting to flesh out our imaginations, really, on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been so excited for this one. Um, I really have. You know, I've, I love my favorite part of the week, I think, is 8.30 on the Saturday morning when I start setting up for the show. Um, mm -hmm. But this week, there was a definite uh, a definite air about the setup because I was just like, we're going to have such a great time just talking, geeking yep. out about uh, about language. I think it's going to be so cool. Yep, it will be. And hopefully <laughs> we'll not, not only galvanize everyone else into embracing their German knowledge that's existing or bettering it, but also just starting to learn German as a result. We'll see how many we can persuade. Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, it's interesting that you mentioned that because one of the things that I like to say, particularly, I don't know about you, but for me at parents evening, one of the first things parents quite often say when they sit down in front of me is, oh, I wish I tried harder at languages in school. Um, yeah. and, and my response is always, well, actually, you know more than you think you do. You know, mm -hmm. you, you, you've got, there are some German words already and, you know, they make the joke, oh, yeah, I can say uh, I'm beer bitter. And I was just like, yeah, that's fine. That is a start. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I think the, the confidence has to come from somewhere, and you're absolutely right in in emphasising that people have more than they realise. And when we're listening to one another and trying to communicate in our native language or a different language, we're always. I think our brain is always subconsciously processing those messages on a different level. And as a result, when you hear "I'm beer bitter," automatically the English speakers thinking, "Well, beer and beer obviously sound incredibly similar or practically the same." And if we expose them to that, to those cognates and to that language that rings familiar, they'll feel even more confident. And that's almost the approach we have to start with when teaching students a language as well. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, my I do a taster session for our year sevens because they right. pick up, like like I said, they pick up their second language in, in year eight. So at my school, we start with um, we start with French in, in nursery. 
and they do French all the way through to year seven, and then they can pick up Spanish or German in year eight. And when we do a taster session in year seven, my German one is very much focused on the cognates. Um, you know, we very much look at, I start with Hunt always. Hunt, for those of you who don't know, is, is German for dog. And, and I ask them what they think it might mean. And we get all sorts of interesting answers. Um, and then I write the word hound on the board. And we look at how that, that vowel shift happened so that mm -hmm. hunt in German turned into hound in English. Uh, and then we go for the, the more obvious ones, Garten and mouse and house. And, and, and it, it kind of introduces them both to the fact that cognates are something for you to hang your language onto, but also it broadens their idea of the language family. And, and the fact that actually Spice being native English speakers for, for most of them, then German and Dutch are quite open to them. And if you learn Dutch, you can find Swedish and Norwegian very, very straightforward. And, and it then becomes that linear progress of just because I'm offering you German right now doesn't mean that German is the one that you stick with, although I hope that you do. It could be a gateway into something else. Absolutely. How, many, how do you, I'm interest, interested before I weigh in on this yeah, how, yeah. Do the students, how do the students respond when you start pointing out these similarities or these language families to them is it a surprise to them is it something that they hadn't noticed before like what is the are they do they respond positively inquisitively or a bit Shocked, shocked, I suppose. Um, it, it's a really positive response. Um, and mm. I, I think there is an extent to which it's a false positive response because it's usually, oh, German's quite easy, isn't it? Um, and, and you put a smile on and you go, yes, it really, really is, thinking <laughs> it, it will be until I teach you how to do subordinate clauses. Um, mm. But um, yeah, it generally is a positive because, of course, they start with French. And while there are cognates, of course, between English and French, at the lower levels, they are fewer and further between. Uh, the cognates come as, as your language gets more complex in French, I find. Whereas, yeah. you know, with, with the German ones, they can look at it. And I think particularly for students who are not natural linguists or who don't consider themselves to be natural linguists um mm. it it gives them a way in i think and they can see that it's that little bit more accessible definitely for me my the sort of one up from just pure word level the cognate is actually looking at the syntax of german so of course we know that the verb uh changes position depending on what uh, where it lies in relation to other words in the sentence but often when you have uh a, you know a sentence built like on Monday I play football even though the word order is slightly different it is the same number of words yeah and the sound res resonates so I think you have to almost trust that the students will start to recognize those patterns and the more explicit you make that as part of your teaching the more confident they feel that actually they're not they're going to be able to go beyond word level pretty quickly in talking to some of my students ahead of this pro uh, broadcast because I wanted their voices to really come through on this one they said that one of the things that they noticed amongst their peers that dissuaded them from continuing on with language was that it they found it quite overwhelming. Even though we okay. assume that students have interacted with language, uh, perhaps just with French or a different one, or perhaps even a native language they speak at home, when they come in and suddenly they start learning German, fresh off, they may never have had any interaction with it. They have no yeah. prior relationship with it. And too many are put off straight away because it's the assumption that, well, you know that there's such a thing as grammar. You know that there's such a thing as reading skills of the language where you navigate and find all this language that speaks to you. But it is still that, that new level of a new sound, a uh, different combination of words, 
different patterns emerging and actually the cognitive load is, is too much for them. They yeah. they find that they're they're being they're being assumed to be more sophisticated linguists than they are. But actually with every language we have to ease in with a particular approach, get their confidence up quickly, their motivation up quickly, and then that's when we can start, you know, letting them be a bit more independent or finding things out for themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um I'm finding actually before I tell this story i am going to preface it with uh with my bias um i am i am professionally invested in the epi approach because i am writing the japanese textbooks for Mm -hmm. the approach so i do have a bias here but i'm using the uh, Gianfranco conti's epi approach with my year eight beginners german class this year and i'm finding that actually the the cognitive load reduction that that conti talks about uh, is very visible to me by using this approach because it's very much a chunking approach so they have they have a traditional sentence builder um, you know so your first column is is hello guten tag then you've got ich heiße then we've got a bunch of german names uh, then we've got und ich bin numbers yada alt and just by having the sentence builder in front of them and it's it's very plain it's designed to be plain to reduce that cognitive load and just beginning to to pick out the words choral repetition let's play some games um in instead of just having a powerpoint full of vocabulary they are beginning to communicate right from the offset and and for me it's that communication that particularly at uh key stages two and three is so important Uh, but it also gives them success right from the beginning because right from lesson number one they are creating whole sentences that they uh that that can be understood instead of just having these random word lists that they can parrot Mm. the 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 emergence of particular methodologies like epi like the traction that it's gaining makes me really pleased because it's diversifying teachers toolkit i think there was I saw a fellow about languages teacher on Twitter just this morning tweet something which I think is very powerful, which is the range of approaches that we have available to us as languages teachers to diversify language teaching, really improve the quality of what's happening in classrooms. We need to be accessing that wider toolkit and we're never going to apply one single methodology to all groups of students. So the EPI approach, I think, is really successful for giving for bringing students' confidence up, as you say, right from the offset. I think the cultural approach whereby if teachers feel confident enough to, where they impart their experience of languages and then use that to plan lessons so they make them really authentic and sort of immersive, then that's an up-student motivation. If you've got particularly studious pupils in front of you, maybe they'll enjoy the explicit grammar approach. Who knows? Maybe they'll be able to apply that rule for themselves. Yeah, Um, we did, so... Yeah, exactly. So we we know we can't turn our backs on languages teaching methodologies that have existed for you know multiple decades across several different curricula. But I think we do recognise there is research out there that shows us what is going to up student motivation quickly, given our limited curriculum time and given the pressure on us to be really accountable for the number of students who pick up a language. Unfortunately, teachers carry too much of that accountability. It does need to be more of a national message, but we are obviously in the prime position to push forward approaches that we know work because we actively see that engagement from students 
regardless of our context, regardless of our methodology. Absolutely. And and for me, it's that engagement that is is key. And I think not just for language teachers, because I know that we've got a lot of different people listening in today, but I think across yeah. all subjects, um, particularly in the UK, because we are so exam focused, we can mm. quite often lose that joy. You know, I, I, I stand up at the front of my classroom sometimes and I forget the fact that I teach language because I love language and I think it's so important. But I don't always feel like I transmit that properly to my students because I'm too focused on making sure they understand what they need for their terminal exam. I so, absolutely sympathise. Yeah, absolutely sympathise and empathise. And I would say, like you, you know, like you echoed that most teachers are sitting in or anyone who's been into a school will, will understand that the culture is very exam driven. My approach, I mean, I was very lucky that my training year shaped me as such. I think my approach has always been the exam question and the ability to navigate said exam question regardless of whether the language rings true to you or not we know that exam <laughs> questions unfortunately for languages are loaded with content that students may have never come across because yeah. it's it's grossly unfair however their ability to navigate unknown language is actually a real life skill you're yes. not going to pick up everything that you hear you're not going to understand everything that you see in the written word but how you go about navigating that unfamiliar language is like takes a lot of resilience a lot of persistence and you know things like problem solving collaboration and teamwork really help on that score so i'm thinking to myself when i'm building a lesson yes i at the end, I do want to see if there's a tangible way that they could apply those skills to an exam question. But how do I know that they are going to follow me to that endpoint? And for me, that's always been about placing the language in an authentic context, using things like sentence builders or support sheets or just, you know, real target language driven lessons to help them feel like they can communicate and navigate that world and then take extract that skill and apply it to a much more sort of dry but equally important context of an exam question. How you go about doing that, it will be different to every teacher. Of course, of course. And, you know, I, I completely agree, especially with the, the unknown language. Um, mm. it, it's always fascinating um, that it, it's no secret in my school that I, I have nine languages and, and the kids find that really impressive. Um, wow. Um, well, I, I, I always drill it as actually, as long as you if you can have three if you can have a romance language a germanic language and an asian language then actually you can get into any others the rest of it is it, it kind of falls into place uh, some of them believe me and some of them don't um but when we when when we talk about it and when we talk about the idea of fluency they always say to me well do you know all of the words in all of your languages and i turn around and say no um i don't know all of the words in english uh, I don't drive, so I don't know car parts. I can't tell you what any part of an engine is um, because I've never had to. And so, you know, if I can't do all of that in my native language, it's no surprise that I can't do all of that in my foreign language. And that doesn't mean that I'm not fluent in them. It just means that I've got gaps in my vocabulary. Birds, mostly. Um, <laughs> well, maybe that's a sub subject specialism, a sort of area of knowledge we all ought to pick up then. Absolutely. Yeah. The, yeah, I think it's really pertinent what you say there, because really what we're doing with language is making every effort to communicate, you know, that sort of essence of ourselves and our personality to with whoever, with whomever we're speaking. And that could be with all the vocabulary at our disposal, sort of that automatized process of recalling that language at the drop of a hat and being able to then use it to communicate, or whether our gaps 
then searching for that closest synonym or the closest way of being able to rephrase that expression. And for me, I find it very important to model that thought process to my students, either when we're doing explicit modeling of mm-hmm. I don't know, a written task, or if it's me actually pausing and searching for that correct word in German before actually, before actually uh, giving it to them. So they can see that I'm taking my time, that not all the language is at my fingertips all the time, especially within a five period day where, let's be honest, when we teach French key stage three and go straight to a German A level lesson, <laughs> may, Absolutely. May, not the, may not be the easiest process in the world. So they have to see that I'm still as a fluent speaker, you know, I do struggle, but it's a struggle that I'm happy to take in order to make myself, you know, heard and understood. Yes. And and I, I agree with you. I think that's so important for our students to see that being modelled. I remember very early in my career, I was always loath to do that because I felt um, as I was building my teacher persona, I felt like my subject knowledge was forever being scrutinized by the children. And so I always felt like if I couldn't call the word to mind, then I would be judged as not being a good teacher because I didn't have that immediate knowledge. But kind of as I've as I've grown older, um, I've realized that actually the, the life lessons are just as important as the subject knowledge that we're imparting. So I, I keep dictionaries on my desk uh, and I'm very happy to look things up in the dictionary, either pretending that I need to look it up with <laughs> with key stage three, because, you know, when they when they ask, how do you say spider? Um, that's not always difficult to call to mind, but you pretend so that they see it modeled or, you know, in in a level speaking. Um, mm. when there is is very, very niche subject-specific vocabulary that um, that they might ask for because it doesn't come up in the course necessarily, but it's something they want to say as part of their card or their conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm very happy these days to, to crack open the dictionary and say, okay, let, let's find out. Um, and then I've progressed now to even having a vocabulary book on my desk. So when they ask me for a new word, I will write it in my own vocabulary book and, and model those behaviours that I expect them to be doing as learners. That's lovely. And I think that, I mean, that speaks to your experience from obviously having a multitude of uh, students within your classroom who may be asking all these different questions. It's so interesting how year on year you'll get students who notice certain things, but then ignore other aspects. And then the <laughs> next year they others you're teaching the same lesson maybe slightly differently but then it'll be you know 180 degree reversal they'll notice the things that the previous cohort didn't yeah and I love I I love that about language I think language should be always this mysterious puzzle that you're trying to reconfigure and actually the puzzle pieces don't always have the same image on them you can reconfigure the image and make different pieces fit together so showing that you're actively searching for that synonym that is most appropriate for that context particularly for a level you say it's very niche vocabulary but actually it's just it's the wider world of vocabulary that we have the pleasure of accessing by virtue of teaching students who are inquisitive um how can we push for that inquisitiveness throughout so from key stage three upwards or even from primary school upwards I think has to be kind of a, a sedimentary part of policy going forward because we're modeling here high literacy standards that's our job as teachers we know we have a duty to put into the world people who can read and write and speak and mm-hmm. do all of these things to help communicate their personalities and be able to do the job that they want and navigate the world around them the sort of graduated approach whereby we go step by step which starts with that vocabulary book which starts with asking the questions which starts with being inquisitive those are all behaviors we've got to cement very early on 
yeah. in order to make it successful English. We can't just wait for the big end game at A level uh, where students have to almost sort of like fine tune those behaviors in order to be successful at A level. We can, we can really start this from, you know, right from the outset and that can be highly motivating as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think um, primary languages is, is key here. Um, as a former head of PMFL at my primary, at my last school, um, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time working with the English lead on how we could encourage linguistic curiosity from reception right through to year six. And we worked together a lot on the books that we were reading, the phonics that we were teaching, uh, so that we could make links between uh, what they were doing in English in their literacy lessons and what I was doing in PMFL in French and Japanese, so that they began to ask these questions, so they began to be, be interested in language. Because I think... As much as I tell my students these days that they are so much luckier than than we were when we were learning, um, because I remember being I remember being so excited when we got Sky TV and I was flicking through the channels and randomly um, RTL came on and suddenly I could hear German, uh, mm -hmm. whereas I'd I'd only ever seen it written before, um, right. and and you know we had to actively seek out these things, whereas students now can just stick on Netflix or YouTube or whatever it might be and access anything in pretty much any language that they they would like to. Um, but I also think that I personally had um, a bit of a an, an advantage at having my curiosity peaked when I was younger because I I remember my my master system. Uh, I'm dating myself now, but uh, I remember have, having my master system games console when I was, um, must have been like year two and year three, and you would buy the games and they would come in a little cartridge and they would have a little book um, explaining a story that had no bearing on the game whatsoever. Um, but in those days, the, the story would be written in about six different languages going across a double page spread. And so it would be English and then French and then German and then Italian, then Spanish and usually Dutch on the end. Um, and I just remember finding that so fascinating before I had any concept of what a foreign language actually was. It was so interesting to me that there was a another version of me somewhere, somewhere else who had bought this exact same game and was learning this exact same story, but through these other words on the page. And I think in, in England specifically these days, it is actually harder to find that kind of foreign language in the wild. And so those are experiences that we have to manufacture almost in school. I, I really like that phrase, foreign language in the wild. Yeah, I think that incidental moment that you had is yeah harder to manufacture organically or, yes. or for it to happen organically for students. It has to be very purposeful, like... If you go to Netflix and change the <laughs> subtitles on your favorite show, you will see it in a different language. But it's it's seeing it in the written word versus hearing it. I remember my uh, my my tutor at University of Birmingham when I did my training year, Dr. Adam Cook. He I think he said that he, the first time he actually heard French spoken was when he was about fifteen years old, even though he'd been learning it for some years. Wow! This is when the grammar translation approach was very very heavily advocated. Okay, and therefore the written word the, like the written example of language was the dominant force rather than it being target language driven but through methods of communicative teaching or through oracy and I just found that absolutely mind-blowing because uh, I, I mean full disclosure my life has been enriched by language 
from my birth. I was brought up English and Russian bilingually by my parents. I was born in Austria, so I heard German around me, even though I went to an English kindergarten. There was a little bit of hiatus when we went to the States for my primary education, but there was still a lot of Spanish being spoken, obviously. Yeah. And then was and I lived in Paris during my secondary school and sixth form education. So I've, I can't remember. Ne- there's never been a time where I've not heard language in the oral form. And that's probably, it's, it, it comes as no surprise, really, that that's, you know, the foundation of how I would like languages to be taught, which is hear it as much as possible, model it for the students as much as possible, because it it's so it, it piques their interest. They go, yeah. oh, like either by talking about that word relationship between languages, or through just being really expressive through it, and them actually seeing like elements of your personality transform as a result of you speaking that other language. Um, yeah, and, and, and I think one of the things that our tutor for training always advocated was that you know the difference in quality between us doing the same lesson but predominantly in English versus infusing parts of it with target language you said I actually saw you whilst I was observing you come alive and it just (laughs) it just uh, you know you make that a very memorable event for that student maybe in a very subconscious slightly intangible way but we guarantee but we are guaranteed to make it continuously memorable if that is a core part of our language lesson culture Yes, absolutely, absolutely, and it is. It, it's about that coming alive that I think is so important. Um, uh, the head of my school is a linguist. He taught uh, French and Spanish, and mm-hmm. when he comes in to talk to our year nines just before options time um, about because languages at my school are compulsory, so he comes in to explain to them why, and you know he talks about being a different person when he speaks Spanish. Uh, there mm-hmm. is a a Spanish Mr. So-and-so and an English Mr. So-and-so. Um, and I think that's absolutely true because for me, different different languages unlock different parts of, of your brain and, and, and your personality, like you say. Um, and there are some things that are quite difficult to express in one language and much, much easier to express in another. And I think the more that we can show our students that, uh, the more the more parts of their own personality they can unlock, which is so important at the the foundational time that we teach them when they are discovering who they are going to be as adults. I th- yeah, I think there's two things there that I want to want to talk about. I think the first is the that untranslatable language, not necessarily the word itself, but just the essence yes. of the language. You know, I think the personality that comes with. Uh, with a language i was talking with my father recently he's a he is russian but he learned german when we moved to vienna so he took languages lessons and then began to work with uh german-speaking professionals in the arts amazing when and when he talked about the use of well german german plays so german playwrights from germany uh or material that is from you know native german speakers from germany Hmm. He said there's a certain tone in the way that it's written in terms of the structure of the language, the way that it it sounds when sung, I don't know, sung in a Wagner operatic work, for example, versus then the sort of sing-song quality of the Austrians and just the, the, the play on words that they have, which is just ev- more evident of, and kind of more, it, 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 it signals on a greater level the Austrian personality. It's not to say that Germans aren't humorful, humorous, but we know that they are. Yes. It's in the quality of the way the language is used by those native speakers. And the more that you progress through your language learning journey, the more you begin to really notice those differences and the more that you ought to account for them when using that language more authentically. 
as as to you talking about your head teacher being a linguist, I mean, I think the the opportunity for SLT to spread this message is really fundamental. They they are intrinsic to the school culture. They model the behaviors and the rules and the sort of expectations that we have on a whole school level. And I think for SLT to come in and speak to you year nine, it's really powerful because they see that actually, even though they don't actively he hear their head teacher speaking a different language all of the time, that's part of their skill set, And that's what, most likely what makes him or her or them quite a strong communicator. Yeah. And that's... so how do we, you know, how do we as languages teachers collaborate with SLT or, you know, those who have the ability to spread that message in order to make it very, again, like that foundational part of our, of our school life? Yeah, that's I think that's something to be explored. Absolutely. And I think it must be difficult for SLT. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not SLT. I've got no aspiration to be, so I can't speak for them. But I feel like it must be a difficult one for them because they can't, they, they can't be seen to be promoting some subjects over others. So I understand why they would want that neutrality. Um, but at the same time, because they do have the the influence, if it is their subject, if it is their skill set, um, and even if it's not, and they wish it had been, uh, there's nothing. I think there would be nothing wrong with them coming into classes and 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 trying it out. I was always very pleased when I ran a beginners Mandarin club a few years ago. Our head of maths came, um, which I thought was wonderful because I, initially I was a bit hesitant. I wondered if it would be awkward. Uh, for the students to be there learning alongside one of their teachers. Uh, but actually, they really liked it because they saw that language was important to somebody that they didn't necessarily see as a linguist. Um, it turns out that she is. She also is a fluent German speaker, um, but they didn't know that. Um, and so Brilliant. it really, it, it kind of changed their perception a little bit because it was just like, oh, languages are not just for the language teachers. They're not for the people who want to study language for the sake of studying language. They're for everybody because they want to be able to do things in the language. I think it's so important that you say that because this is, I think, the cornerstone of what could be whole school policy. I, I absolutely, given what schools are going through with budget constraints and quality assurances and that high accountability, that high stakes accountability uh, in the school culture at the moment, yeah. I absolutely, you know, I empathise to the highest degree with SLT. They cannot be seen to be playing favourites with subjects. However, what we could do as a whole school level, with heads of department, for example, is advocate for that cross-subject knowledge. I know that some schools for their sixth form open evenings, what they're doing is they're promoting their subject and then they're showing those explicit links to other subjects within the A-level curriculum, saying Amazing. here are the skills they're going to learn from language and how it's going to feed into history, into English, into science. They're making it very explicit in terms of career links as well, developing that professional portfolio for the future. We just had our sixth form open evening on Thursday, and that was, you know, one of the key messages we were driving through because we recognised that we had potential medics in the room, potential uh, physicists, potential yes. uh, historians, etc. We said it does not matter what pro portfolio subjects you are doing for your A level, languages will enhance all of those things, and we had students there you know, who are amazing ambassadors for us who said, even though I do religious knowledge and English and French, being able to, do, being able to uh, understand and speak French has allowed me to see which words are shared in Shakespeare's plays, you know, making those linguistic connections. We had a medic in the room who said, I really wanted to have, you know, a humanities-based or a sort of linguistic-based subject 
because I want to go and do medicine in the future, but I know that a lot of people also want to go on and study that. So how am I going to add that string to my bow? And that, that comes from their common sense, but very much a message that we're driving forward. So I think definitely in the future, we need to be collaborating with heads of departments saying, let's make one another visible in our department rather than just staying all in our corridors <laughs> for the whole day. I mean, we, we're, we're so busy, but actually yes. we might be lessening the workload for us in the future to having, for having to recruit students to our subject if we show that actually the portfolio subject builds them as a person, not just in terms of them getting good results for particular exam subjects and doing well, but just having the skills that are transferable and that wider understanding and appreciation of the world and their place in it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we have a lot of medic, uh, potential medics as well. Um, right from from year seven, lots of them decide, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. And so when I, I led our year nine assembly last week um, on why we do languages um, and I trotted out the old figure that, you know, in London, there are approximately 300,000 French speakers um, that uh, that comes from the French consulate. We, we're not sure how true that is, but that's what the French consulate says. And mm. so, you know, if you want to be a doctor in London, then, of course, speaking French is going to be very useful to you, because if you are a French person and you are ill and you are scared, you're going to want to talk in your native language to somebody because your native language will be comforting to you. And so if you are a doctor who can speak French, you are going to be more in demand. Um, <clears throat> and so, again, it kind of it, it does loop back to the fact that for, for people like us, for the language geeks, learning language is uh, an end. It is what we want to do. We learn language because we want to learn language. But for most people, language is a means to something else. It's a means to being a doctor. It's a means to being a, an actor. It's a means to being a business person. Um, and, and I think you're right. It's about collaborating with the other heads of department, particularly departments where the links are not always so explicit. And, and mm -hmm. showing them, showing the, the strong students in those subjects where a language can enhance that. I fully agree. And I think that's only going to strengthen the, the connectivity and the, and the sort of the network of teachers that you have within any given school context. Because although we are all sort of collaborating invisibly from afar with one another nationally, we are still going into our place of work every day. And the colleagues that we have are the people with whom we most directly affiliate and and interact. One of the, I suppose the part of Nick Gibbs press release that slightly worries me is still this focus on the economic benefit of language. As yeah. if the language skill is like this commodity that we sell, that the knowledge that we gain from language must be useful, must, must be purposeful. Given the difficulty economically for families all around the country, I understand that the cost of living crisis and energy crisis will be at the forefront of everyone's minds. And therefore, they're thinking, well, what what can my child do in terms of the GCSEs that's going to lift them out of their economic plight and put the, and drive them towards higher living standards or give them that life that I cannot currently provide for them? That's an aspiration that I'm, you know, I admire any parent for. Yeah. But we language, there was a time where, well, there are certainly pe people like us and many around the world who say learning language just diversifies your personality and helps your brain work in a different way. It becomes create you become creative, you become extra collaborative, you become very empathetic. And those aren't always skills that are prized as being useful 
in the yeah. modern world, which is so fast paced and so sort of results driven. Even our schools are results driven. So yes. where's the room for this? Where's the room for the more uh, introvert personalities who are processing language in the most amazing way, but may not be the person who are, you know, they may not be the people who are going into those highly social situations and networking to, you know, get that business deal or do you see what I mean? I think, yeah, I yeah. think there's, there's, there's a preference of personality when you yes. tell the economic message. And there's, a, and there's certainly a preference in the way languages ought to be taught when you send that message because yes. you say, learn academically, you'll do well and you'll get a good job. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I have found that over the past couple of years, I've been quite interested to look at the students who opt for MFL versus the students who opt for classical languages. Um, of course, in, in classical languages, there is no speaking component. And so I do quite often find that the students who are that little bit more introverted, the students who are shy, um, the ones who kind of hated French lessons in, in year seven because they had to speak and they felt silly, um, they're the ones who thrive quite often in classics because that communicative element is taken away and it is much more... Um, they sit down and they can tackle the translation or the reading comprehension or, or the cultural aspects much more like a puzzle. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I, I do agree with you completely that quite often we, we turn students off of language by saying, oh, it has to be so that you can talk to other people. It has to be so that you can broker this business deal. Um, and, and we take away the, oh, learn it because it's interesting. Learn it because this is a very cool culture. Um, you know, I regret that I don't speak Spanish because I think um, I've always been interested in Mesoamerican culture. And I think, you know, learning about the Aztecs and the Mayans and all that is, is fascinating. Um, and I think if Spanish had been sold to me as learn this language and then you can find out more about the Aztecs, the bit that you that you do find most interesting, um, then that might have, have, have hooked me in Spanish um, in the same way that I was hooked into French and German and Japanese. Mm hmm. But I mean, it's it's providing that language hook, you know, something intrigues yeah. all of us to learning that language further. For me personally, it's, it's interesting reflecting now. I've actually never picked up a language purely from scratch. I've been introduced to it by 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 way of be you know where where okay. I've lived, where yeah. um, the opportunities that I had. So I mean, French, I suppose, is the exception. I had a very good French teacher when I was in the states who actually interestingly enough also was from a theatre background and then she transitioned to languages teaching much like myself but I could me too see, I could, oh there we go <laughs> maybe, there's a, maybe there's a lineage there I think there so, is <laughs> so she, I, I remember her she had a very traditional explicit approach however she always got us up on our feet to do role plays yeah. and really be forced out of our comfort zone where we're not just looking at you know all the language at our, at our disposal or in the textbook or on notes it's like no no just you know what needs to be said try <laughs> and communicate it in a way that you can she was a stickler for accuracy but only for the accuracy that was meaningful so those verbs okay essentially. yeah yeah and i found that really powerful you know you for, for me french didn't tie in it didn't tie for me to my my day-to-day environment but it was the breaking free from the constrictions of those structures that made me feel safe that made me feel quite confident and really complemented my love for the performing arts because 
you know, it's all about improvising. It's about thinking on your feet. It's responding to the individuals around you, not, you know, always saying yes to the improvisation rather than <laughs> yeah. rejecting it. So it's a, it will come as no shock to anyone who knows me or to you that this is a fundamental part of the way I encourage students to be brave in, in their language lessons. They, they connect with the language because they want that opportunity to show off what they can do and I'm encouraging them to do so. And if there are, are errors in there, it doesn't matter. They're making that effort to speak. They're making that effort to communicate. And if they're doing that off the cuff with no, with little to no support eventually, then when it comes to the more regimented structured exercise of reading comprehension, they'll have the, they'll have the courage and the confidence to go through with that. That's not me actively having to encourage them every step of the way. They'll 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 be their prime motivators and it's that peer collaboration they're knowing that they've done it together where they yes. go okay well this is a, a actively an environment which is about helping one another and if you learn those skills in the classroom you will intuitively apply those to any studies that you pursue or any job that you pursue in the future as well absolutely absolutely because meaning is collaborative meaning is created between the people having the conversation um you know you, you and i have, have talked over well we've emailed over the past couple of weeks um mm -hmm. to kind of figure out the structure of the show but we we didn't plan anything we kind of knew we were going to talk about german we were going to talk about um your teaching your history and and we made the decision not to come up with a list of questions because we wanted it to be more collaborative. We wanted it to be more spontaneous. And and those those skills are the ones that we do need to get our students um, fluent in, in their native language as well as their foreign language. This idea that actually it doesn't matter if you always pick the exact correct word. It, it doesn't matter if you make a mistake in your case, as long as you're being understood and your meaning is created and, and what you intend is is transmitted, that actually is what's most important. Mm -hmm. I, I fear that there are times where I get so bogged down by the, you know, relative accountability on me to get my students good results. And yes. then, and sometimes I lose sight of, I'm, you know, I'm very, as we all are when we're busy, we're very capable of losing sight of the values that really make languages teaching exciting. Yeah. And I think I'm currently in, I'm slightly in that phase at the moment where I'm not quite doing the lessons that I want to because actually I've taken on different responsibilities this year and I'm trying to now, I'm in that sort of figuring out stage of how do I, how do I, capitalize on this moment that we have with German how do we continue to make our curriculum accessible to all and how do we continue to advocate for best practice in our department and beyond but when asking my students uh, just a couple of days ago what they most enjoyed about languages learning is that they get to sort of assume a character where yeah. which is not their own so I don't know if I take the example of my A-level students we often we just did a, our unit on youth and politics for the, for the year 13 specification. Nice. And I got them to create political parties. I think I stole this idea from Liam Printer, actually, Dr. Liam Amazing. Uh, and I got them to create political parties. Uh, so they called themselves the Uge uh, Partei. I think it was called the Ulfeld <laughs> Grün Partei. And then the other one was Jung uh, Communism. Not to say they were communists, but I think they just, they advocate, you know, that's, that's their interest for socialism. Uh, yes, <laughs> but they, yeah. But, they, but they, the, fact, the fact is that it gave me an insight into their personalities even more than what I already know of them. 
And every single exercise, most exercises that we did, be it a written exercise or a spoken one or a listening, I actually asked them to assume the characters of those political parties to experiment, to then give them that opportunity to experiment with a different scope of language. So obviously they're very entrenched in their views and that that language will be more well-practiced because that's the one that they're yeah. inclined to use. But the more niche verbs or perhaps those alternative viewpoints that we do have to acknowledge in order to be evaluative and perhaps a little bit compassionate, and diplomatic, they, uh, yeah, they, they welcome that challenge. And as a result, they remember how they interacted with that language differently. And they yeah. also relating themselves to the culture, the history and the politics of Germany, you know, acknowledging that whole political spectrum, not just the part of it, which offers us that echo chamber, which I think we are slightly entrenched in at the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I love any kind of, of, long-term project-based learning that can really make the language useful. Um, one of the, the favourite things I've ever done, um, and I've repeated it a few times over the years, is with Year 9 French, um, because I'm not, I'm not brave enough to try anything with, with exam-based classes, I must say, but with Year 9 French, um, running it as a, a big six-week role-playing game so mm -hmm. it, it was our topic, uh, Je me présente, all about me, and they created a character uh, and I came up with a scenario based in, in Gaulish mythology. And, and we just played a big role-playing game for six weeks. And, you know, all of the um, all of the little quests that they had to do in order to achieve their, their main goal were vocabulary or grammar-based. And every time they correctly conjugated verbs, they scored um, points so that their character could level up and that got them more money to spend in the shop. And, and it, it was beautiful to see them communicating naturally in French because they had a reason to do it beyond this is the worksheet please fill it in. Yes and the worksheet please fill it in has to have a place sometimes in the pedagogy as far as yeah. us being able to you know giving students very easy opportunities to retrieve learning to make them feel that they actually they can regenerate it and reproduce it without much prompting or much support or perhaps no support at all but I, I totally agree when when we talk about sometimes the phrase active learning or learning energy is thrown around how do we actually evidence that in language lessons yes it is that calm classroom environment where the students are paying attention to you uh responding to your questioning being independent but sometimes you know one thing i certainly have learned for the past three or four years of teaching is there's always room for a little chaos yes and actually <laughs> the students don't mind after perhaps four other lessons where they're working on a much more independent slightly more um, traditional classroom environment, for want of a better phrase, they then come in and go, oh, okay, what, what we, what, what's the experimentation today? What, we're entering that classroom language laboratory. Where's yeah. our teacher going to put us this time? One of my, one of the particular quotations I got from one of my A-level students who's um, going into the army uh, in the next year or so, he said, I loved the group dynamic and peer encouragement that made GCSE German really exciting, but we're also doing that immediate problem solving and being spontaneous and thinking on the spot and interacting with the language in so many different ways. The fact is you could formulate a language lesson in about a million, uh, yes. with a million different methods, million different activities, but it's that path that you choose, okay, we're working on this skill and we're going to push you as far as we can. But I don't think any of our students can really predict the structure of our lessons anymore. There's a general expectation and those the, the ground rules, but 
the, I think the surprise is the thing that entices them and hopefully wins over the majority of our students to us, whereby we, we're just encouraging them to be really um, very much themselves, but push those boundaries beyond their own expectations. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that's going to be so important. Uh, that's a mindset that's going to be so important for us to protect over the next couple of years, because I am noticing another resurgence in um, establishing routines. Make sure that your students know exactly what's going to happen at every moment of the lesson, that every lesson is formatted in the exact same way. Um, and I think that sometimes that does rob the joy of of any kind of lesson of any any exploring because lessons should be driven by what the students are interested in what they come up with and and our job as teachers particularly as language teachers is to respond to that and to give them the language that they will need to be able to express that in german well we need to um, we need to be careful not to convolute that particular channel, that argument with the need for consistency i think consistency is all about the principles that are driving your language of teaching forward and embedding those principles systematically in your lessons but without it necessarily having that uh that rote approach or it being confined to a particular structure or a particular pattern of lessons uh i think that's important for early career teachers perhaps to establish just that they, they know kind of what's the rhythm that they want to to have in 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 an hour-long lesson but yeah. the more you do and the more you create and the more you experiment and take those risks you'll begin to see that the lesson forms particularly with languages can be very diverse yeah. one of the things that i believe is hindering the progress of german is kind of talking back to what i said earlier the fact that it's just it's seen as an economic language yeah. rather than a language that is so rich in history so rich in culture so much of what we know about us about how modern civilization works it's because of the way that Germany or the well, the German speaking world has changed. I'm always continually to surprise my students with the fact that German is spoken in Namibia and they have yes. absolutely, they, they, they don't connect the, the colonial history to uh, German. They're very used to hearing about, you know, as far as the UK is concerned, which is a narrative that's only really emerged in the recent years, but they don't understand how language could have traveled to a part of the world that they don't perceive as being German speaking. And, as soon as you reveal it to them, they say, oh, it makes so much sense. And I say, well, how do you think language is shared? How do you think language has traveled? How do you think we have speakers that come from all over the world? It's because of the historical events that have, have enabled that for, for a good cause or perhaps a slightly more ne negative cause. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, without, without that sort of expertise and that contextual knowledge, if we're not willing to impart that and find the time in our lessons to make sure that the students really understand that this has greater origins and a greater origin story than than just us introducing it in the lesson and them learning it, we I think we're depriving them of a richer cultural capital that they really need to be equipped with. Absolutely. I, I was reflecting on something similar the other day because I fall into the trap of when my students ask me, oh, why should I pick German as a subject. I say, oh, well, you know, if you want to go into medicine, if you want to go into sciences, then you will find lots of these papers written in German. Engineering is the language, uh, German is the language of engineering. Um, and I, I forget, you know, that, that we owe books to Gutenberg. Um, I, f I forget that we owe fairy tales can do Hausmärchen to the Brothers Grimm. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there is this whole literary side to German and a historical side to German that I think people are quite often scared to approach. Because of course, if you talk about German uh, colonialism, then 
uh, student force is immediately going to go to World War II. Um, but we kind of we owe it to Germany and to the German language to go beyond that and to acknowledge that that part of history, yes, happened, but there are other parts of German history as well, which are actually more interesting. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Really couldn't agree more. And in fact, the thing we ought to focus on is that Germany as a nation, I mean, I have my mother to thank for this because she's a <laughs> journalist who, uh, who actually covered the, fall, covered the Cold War and she wow. covered the fall of the Berlin Wall. Her love of language, and she, she was a fluent German speaker by the time she was 18, <laughs> so she had okay. a really a, a fundamental appreciation for it. But I think her appreciation for, the, it, for Germany and its people and its history came from seeing it change right in front of her eyes understanding the the significance of a piece of construction falling thereby changing the course of the you know western eastern relations i mean that 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 just opens up a whole web of knowledge and fascination and curiosity that you know as soon as i unlock a sip, that that fact in a similar manner to my students they really understand that for me this is so much more than just a language it's literally a way of life and the history that's unfurled as a result of something like the fall of the wall that had you know that entailed a huge reconciliation process we talk about the Vergangenheitsbewältigung in mm-hmm. germany which is literally reconciliation of the past that process has been modeled by germany in an exemplary fashion not without yes. its difficulties but if we that model should be applied to the way that we reconfigure our own history or look at any other bank of history for that matter, the literature that's been inspired as a result of that divide, what does it mean to be German, them exploring the German identity, we, there is a whole bank of knowledge that we are simply not capitalising on. We are not bringing on into our curriculum. We are not accounting for as being something that could really intensify the desire from everyone to learn this amazing language. One thing that I've tried to do to hopefully buck that trend is with my year 10s last year, we started doing a literary project where every minute, every week for 30 minutes, we would read an extract from Goethe or from or just, you know, a literary Mm -hmm. authentic passage or an advertisement or something that got them to interact with the language in a totally different way. And the onus is very much on them. I go, right, look for your cognates, look for what looks similar. What do you think the context is? How are you interpreting the passage? What do you get out of it? We then get it on its feet if it's a story and try and act it out as well. And, you know, I model the narration to show how text should be read so that they get that modeling approach from me. It's still tying into all my pedagogical principles, but it's one of those less the lesson that I remember most week on week from last year with the with this year group. And we've continued that project into year eleven for them and started it with year ten as well. I love it. I love I love the bravery that that shows because I've I've spoken to so many teachers when I've led CPD sessions who have said, oh, you know, I wish that I could do things like that, but I'm so constrained by my curriculum. And and I sort of say to them, well, your curriculum is language. If you are showing them pieces of German, then you are teaching them the German language. And if you want to, you know, take your extract of, of whatever you're reading, take your advert and go through and just find whatever vocabulary is on the uh, the vocabulary list for your exam board so that you can point that out. But we can, we can make anything fit what we have to teach. Um, and and there, it just requires that little bit of creativity that I think sometimes we we forget we're allowed to do because we are so exam focused. Definitely, uh, I have become very passionate about professional development in the last couple of years 
but particularly around COVID when there was a huge amount of knowledge being shared over Twitter between language yeah. teachers uh, just to make language uh, language teaching still pertinent and still befitting the context of, uh, of lockdown. And as a result, I started to explore every manner of authentic resources, be it videos or text. And I began to do much more with less because yeah. I found that if the students were navigating the knowledge themselves from their homes, whatever circumstances they had within the home, it was still going to be an overwhelming process. And therefore, I didn't want to give them the traditional language lesson in the way that I would have taught it in the classroom because they haven't got me as a resource in the room. Yeah. So I was thinking, how can it be much more student led? How can it be much more student empowering? And as a result, I began to find curriculum materials that were much more responsive to the, to them as people and really chimed with the modern world that they had around them, which is, you know, ever in flux, by the way, as we've oh, of course. well experienced the past couple of years. But I totally agree that the curriculum is, it does have to be governed by language, which is highly contextual and cross-contextual and is re repeated and retrieved for the purposes of an exam and will inevitably become the language that they feel comfortable with in order to start communicating in the authentic world. But we are, we're missing, as I said before, key opportunities to look back and think, well, where in our curriculum can we really take the time to actually find this fantastic authentic resource and maybe build a curriculum around it, or at least make it start with just part of our, our, our lesson sequence in the fortnight. Absolutely. We're also, not, we're also not acknowledging the wealth of re research and practice that is going out there that shows how motivating those resources can be. And that research has existed for some decades now, but still isn't being acknowledged by all schools. And the reason being, I think, is because we just we lack the time. We lack the time to step yes. back and really be able to reflect on the quality of what's being produced are we reflecting on the quality because actually they're retrieving those opinion verbs and justification on all those nuggets of knowledge they know we need we know they need for the exam or are we are we genuinely impressed by that still like are we are we happy with that being the output for sure but particularly for lower literacy and SEN students I'm delighted if they can retrieve that of their own accord I know that I also have a duty to prepare them for the way the language is used in the real world, should they choose to use it in any manner uh, in their future careers or their future lives. Yeah. But I need the time to be able to reflect on how I embed that fundamentally in the way that I teach, not just me, but you know, all of my colleagues and those who I continue to train in the future. Absolutely. And and it is. And I think time is is the, the one resource that all teachers would would love to have so much more of. One of the reasons that I was I was so excited about this morning um, was just because it, it gave me the opportunity to have an hour and a half to sit down with another German teacher and and have a conversation. Uh, you know, and the fact that this conversation is being broadcast to to people and it will exist on on Spotify, on on whatever the Apple one is called that we uh, are recorded on, I forget. Um, you know, that that's great because it means that at some point uh, other German teachers will be able to take the time, be it when they are um, cooking dinner, be it what they are waiting for the bath to fill up, whenever it might be, to, to, to listen to this conversation and to join in with us. And I think that kind of asynchronicity is something that we got very good at over COVID. You know, you mentioned how generous teachers were sharing things on Twitter and that that has has stayed I think 
and and it's yeah. the idea that we can have these conversations and you know you and i can have this conversation right now at the same time and our listeners can 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 join in but this conversation exists in perpetuity and somebody can listen in a year's time and they can tweet us and we will still be having this conversation we will still be happy to engage with that uh because the things don't change no i, I feel we we do need to acknowledge that the conversation we're having now is the start of what I hope will be a very active and engaging implementation process, but it yeah. is a fight that we are going to have to really promote and yes. stick by for yes. some years to come. I mean, we know that the the first centre of excellence was already created four years ago to actively promote French and German and Spanish teaching, and yet there's still been a decline of uptake on the number of students. Yeah. I think that might be due, you know, looking at the nine hub schools that exist with the with the NSELF at the moment with the University of York. Apart from Bradford, I felt like those were predominantly, you know, white, uh, unfortunately, they were white, white British areas. They're not yeah. really tapping into the multiculturalism of Britain. And I was also thinking, well, where is the expertise in those schools? I don't know, you know, as a German teacher, I felt maybe I should have been more proactive in finding out who the German teachers are within those schools, what made them identified as hubs. And then I'm thinking, if it's, if the expertise isn't necessarily there, then where else in the country is it? And yeah. surely that's the starting point for then coordinating these new centres for excellence that Nick Gibbs is going to invest 50, nearly fifteen million pounds in to, uh, to to up the to to drive the uptake for students to take up German as a language and for the German just to be offered in the curriculum. I mean, we know that German has been dropped from state school curriculum left, right, and centre. Yeah, it's it's so disparaging. So we shouldn't really be surprised at the decline in number of state school students doing German A-level because it's like, well, if they haven't had that foundation knowledge introduced to them within their catchment area, where, where are they going to get that exposure? As for German teachers who are listening to this podcast now or um, as, a, as an episode later on, you know, I think we all need to see and hear each other so much more frequently. I love going to conferences and love doing workshops where I'm meeting German teachers and, as you say, like, having that empathy and sympathy for one another is really powerful that's not something we have to search to create that's that's an energy that already exists we want to connect and we want to think about you yeah. know how do we change this culture fundamentally so you know i'm i'm doing a bit of a call out now you know let's seize the opportunity let's all come together let's try and put together some sort of petition or manifesto that we send to our local councils or even higher up and get the convert you know keep this momentum going we can't wait for the next center of excellence to be built we can't wait for you know yet another Tory politician or any other politician from any party to advocate for our interests we're the ones who are in schools who know best who can see what's happening diagnose the problem we've spoken about it yet again and again and we have to drive that forward we need to come together this is our moment for sure absolutely absolutely and it is about us doing the work to make this happen i think there is a danger that we can look at the the press releases we can look at the white paper and go oh amazing the government has got this under control germany is going to have an increase and then rely on that but actually exactly as you said it is about us as the german teachers capitalizing on that and doing the work in order to make this a success um sorry go ahead i guess i, I, I suppose I completely understand. Again, we talk about time. Yes. You know, teachers are short on time. And, and by no means am I saying sacrifice what's go the importance of what's going on in front of you. You know, you've got your students. I, I, I know that's of our first priority and that will remain our first priority. What I'm saying is that 
to help to, to prevent the very probable danger of teachers leaving the profession because they don't feel satisfied with what they're being tasked to do therefore it's up to us to change the system so it makes it more motivating for us we talk about motivating students where's the empowerment for the teachers yeah and absolutely. i i you know much as i love going and recruiting for my subject i sort of wish i didn't have to do it on top of everything else that i feel obliged to do because really the momentum given the narrative around how language is learning is so important and how we ought to invest in it properly you know we've been saying that for years and it hasn't yeah. really changed the system much fundamentally what absolutely has remained is the determination of those working within schools or working with the likes of the Goethe Institute or with other bodies that are trying to engage German teachers to say look we're here we matter we still understand the importance of this and the vitality has not changed but maybe we're, we're missing the opportunity to really listen and speak to one another so that it becomes that cohesive holistic approach that is driven by teachers for teachers and students that that for me is a much more memorable message absolutely absolutely i mean my school um we are hoping to be part of the hub um we looked at the application for i looked at the application form yesterday and kind of as as i went through it i i did think this is going to put a lot of work onto my head of German because German is so um uh is so central. But then I thought, well actually viele Hände machen bald ein Ende. And mm, if genau. if all <laughs> if all of us as German teachers can work together, it actually doesn't need to be the onus of the head of German in the hub schools. It's the whole of the German department in those schools and the whole of the German departments who are um, learning from them, who are feeding into them, to work together, to come together, to organize our own conferences, all of that sort of thing, um, so that we can spread the workload and all benefit from what um, the others are doing. Absolutely. We have, yeah, that, that's exactly the moment we need to create. I know that, um, you know, a colleague of mine, uh, Liz Black, who uh, is part of the Association for Language Learning, did a German Teacher's Day back in... Uh, when was it June? Yeah, in, in okay. June, where she and that was that was you know four German teachers only, a very nice little you know gold dust group of people <laughs> coming together and sharing ideas. But no doubt there are conversations there of how do we make resource sharing more purposeful, and how do we make sure that the connection between us remains constant, that we're not just waiting for the opportunities to come together through a conference or through a workshop or these specially designed events that actually the communication is continuous because I certainly feel the weight of the fight on my shoulders. And I am currently, apart from a colleague of mine who's helped me teach year nine German, I'm the only German teacher in the department. Okay. So really I'm thinking, well, I need to leave a bit of a legacy for my school and for future generations of students. I need to make sure the curriculum is secure and I also need to make sure that uptake and teacher recruitment is secure. How am I going to ensure that the ex my expertise is reaching all those across the country who might be currently training or indeed looking to relocate so that actually they know that within the West Midlands region, there is an amazing school who still have German as part of their state school curriculum who are vying to keep it part of the subject offer that they, that they um, provide. So you doing your hub application, we need to be able to learn from that. We could be a center of excellence ourselves as well in the future if yeah. this thing gains traction. 
why do you double the amount of work when thinking this is a loan fight when really this is a collaborative fight? We talk about language being the subject which promotes communication. Let's model that effort to our students by showing that we are not above learning from one another and actually making this more of a collective effort to keep our language alive. Definitely, definitely. And it is so easy these days, you know, I mean, before the show, when we were emailing, we joked about um, the the, the ongoing demise of Twitter, but while Twitter still exists and, and it's so easy to be in contact with each other as German teachers, there is, there's nothing to stop us coming together and, and figuring out, you know, where, where are their commonalities, who is doing which exam board so that they can get together on specific resources. Where can we share key stage three resources? Cause key stage three curricula are much for muchness. Um, you know, how can we how can we take what might be small classes of two, three, four, five students at A level and connect them so that they've got other people to practice with? Um, oh, oh, it, honestly, yeah, I, I think about the the opportunities I've had to connect by A level students to um, to their contemporaries, and I've I've never capitalised on that. But you're absolutely right; that is <laughs> that's a very <laughs> obvious sort of like glaring thing that you know a thing staring us in the face of. And uh, being able to drive this thing forward in a much more, kind of, again, like collective and productive way as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I would love to see is, and this was inspired by a conversation I was having um, at school earlier this week. Um, a friend in the Spanish department is looking at connecting her GCSE Spanish class with a school, I think, in South America, so that they can they can chat and and things like that. And I thought that's lovely, but we could do that as teachers. You know, why are four of us all teaching Goodbye Lenin when one of us might be a Goodbye Lenin expert and could produce a video lesson that goes around to everybody? Yeah. I, and then... I, 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 I'm happy to do that, by the way, because I, I mean, <laughs> let's, 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 let's all admit we're, we, love, we love a Goodbye Lenin lesson. Oh, absolutely. Some of us might be better versed in the language of film and theatre and therefore are our ability to more comfortably teach the play literature and film at A level, that's expertise we ought to be sharing. And someone might be much better at interpreting novels and therefore, you know, I ought to learn from them. Yeah. It's, there's there's many connections to be made, but you're right, it has to there has to be this sort of coordinated approach before we kind of run away with all these fantastical ideas and not yeah. make them actually pragmatic to, you know, and sort of like applicable to our work schedules and our and the sort of realistic boundaries of our ambition here yeah no consideration we do we do absolutely absolutely and i think you know quite often that balance can be very difficult to get um mm -hmm. you know i'm i'm very guilty of it um a, a colleague said yesterday um when i was i was kind of having a moan about workload she said yeah but darren you say yes to everything and I kind of went, oh, yeah, actually, I do. Um, so, you know, we do have to take take our own workloads into consideration. Um, but kind of the, the flip side of that is, as we were saying earlier, we can't wait for somebody else to do it. Um, yeah. You know, at some point, people do have to take the lead. And, you know, if, if that means that you and I carry on our email thread um, in about 10 minutes time when the show is over and we end up organizing something for, for January for a load of German teachers to get together, then that's what we'll do. Um, that, and that then, sounds, sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs> I, I think we should. I think we should. And then when, you know, if we create our own little hub, 
then you know the teachers who are interested can start to be delegated different things to do and eventually it grows so so what can happen as you know a few weeks of intense work for two or three people um i think if it's done pragmatically like you say you know within the boundaries of of what is and isn't appropriate given school contexts and given timings and everything um i i think very quickly it could become something really exciting definitely i was thinking about you know how what was the thing i wanted to get across most in our discussion and i understand that what we're talking about are these like really big ideas that are going to require big long-term vision and change you know something that's very imaginative um policy driven you know it's it's giving teachers the time to advocate yeah. for it and it's also making it part of that national discussion you know constantly and the two of them married together in the short term though i mean i already know so much incre- incredible work is going on in, in schools in terms of that urgent discussion the methodologies yeah. being shared research informed practice coming into schools student ambassador programs cultural weeks and events run by language departments for the whole school that's awesome we sort of need to take that and say right teachers in the short term what what is it that we you can do now so that yeah. we keep the conversation going keep this momentum going i think if teachers have the ability to put themselves into their teaching you know something about their life or biography into their lessons you know again as i said taking that time to step, be brave enough to step away from the exam content and the curriculum content and say right here's a video that i remember watching when i was yeah. eight nine we're going to watch it, see what language we can extract from it. Brilliant. And then, the, you know, that will up the kids' drive to engage the lesson. I think coordinating with heads of department, like we said, to make sure that MFL teachers are seen around the school and that languages becomes part of a cross-subject portfolio rather than the singular subject that stands on its own two feet. I think that's very urgent. Like I said, that manifesto, writing to, you know, standing together, finding the principles that we think are crucial for German and for other languages to to help them grow maybe writing to RMP could uh, could happen as well yeah and but you know finally we're forgetting that the really key component part of this is maybe the students yes we talk about the ambassador program that was already running in schools but you know is there is there an opportunity to show them how language is linked to particular job opportunities and maybe therefore give them a chance to run part of the lesson because then they can advocate for their own interest. Is there going to be time set aside where we have these off-piece conversations with students where we listen to what, how they're interpreting the world around them? And is that therefore going to act as fodder for our lessons and our medium-term planning? We have the op- key op- opportunity and the you know, fundamental need to drive oracy and literacy standards upwards. The students are the ones who need to learn from us that it, and that it's okay to sometimes go in these risky directions to give them the stage and offer them that platform to make themselves heard. I think if we just create that culture of empowerment between students and teachers, whilst we're then waiting for the national portfolio to be driven through these centres of excellence and investment, when those are ready, everyone's ready to assume that role and, you know, change the tide, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is the perfect message to uh, to end our show on today thank you so so much for for coming on it's it has been everything i hoped it would be and more definitely it's been a real pleasure talking to you and uh we're all in english email of deutsch today didn't i no yeah but thank you again to also the listeners who've tuned in or if you listen to this episode and we we really do want to hear from you so please do reach out to us on twitter because we want to 
uh, gal- you know, galvanise everyone and seize on the opportunity to really make change. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, today has been very, very um, German focused, which I have loved. Lucy, I do hope that I can have you back on the show maybe in a few weeks time, because of course you shared all of your experiences with me and you know, scrolling through your LinkedIn, it just goes on and on and on. And I would love to talk a little bit about your history um, and about all the different things that you've done, because you have such an interesting background um, that yeah, kind of absolutely. feeds into that feeds into to teaching. So I would love to have you back on to talk about that. Um, more, where... than, more than delighted to. fantastic fantastic where on social media can we find you so i can be found on twitter if it still exists as a platform on at l (laughs) jesneen and um you are more than welcome to um send me messages via um via linkedin as well and uh, i'm actually on my social media channels i'm pretty cool and i have also got ties to the association for language learning which you are if you are not a part of already i really do um I really do think that all languages teachers to be part of this amazing community because mm. that's where you're going to find such solace. So that can also be reached through there as well. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much. So much. It's no been amazing. Schönes Wochenende. Schönes Wochenende. Tschüss. Tschüss. And as always, thank you to all of our listeners for joining in today. I hope you've enjoyed the discussion as much as I have. Uh, a big thank you once more to Lucy for, for coming on. It's been wonderful to speak to you. Um, and you are very much an inspirational teacher. So so thank you for all that you do and, and all that I'm sure you are planning on doing. Uh, there is a late show this evening, so please do join in for that. Um, I'm afraid I'm not on uh, next weekend. Um, I'm not around next Saturday morning, so I will not be having breakfast with you. However, I will be back the week after. I believe that is something like the 3rd of December, uh, where we will be talking uh, Christmas traditions, um, including Krampus, to keep it on a German theme. So I look forward to that. Have a good two weeks, everybody, and I will speak to you all soon. Danke sehr. Tschüss.